0: You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is Bill Lack, and we've got our special guest, our good old friend Chris Welsh, with us tonight. Thanks for coming on, Chris. How are you doing?
1: My pleasure, Bill. I'm doing very well. Just a couple of days, from opening day. I can't do any better than that.
0: Okay, Chris, let's let's jump right into the, the hottest topic of spring training, the, the Aroldos-Chapman decision. Do you agree with the Reds' decision, or not, and why or why not?
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, Bill, and and uh, the one way, of course, is the safer metrics view, is you, you get your best pitching arm, and you get as many innings out of them as possible, but I think ultimately the Reds made the right decision based on what they wanted to do this year. They feel like this team's ready to win, uh, that there was nothing broken in Chapman and the bullpen. Uh, would he be a starter and better starter? Really nobody knows that. I mean, potentially yes, but I think that, uh, had it begun to unravel for Robert Chapman as a starter, it would have begun to unravel for Dusty Baker. It would have unraveled the bullpen a little bit more and so on. And uh, I think this was the easiest way, uh, to get W's on the board.
0: All winter, Chris, that you know, uh, uh, jockety Well, Jockety talked about him being a starter. Brian Price said he was going to be a starter. He said, you know, that they had a plan for for the inning shortage, and, and he threw fairly well in spring training. What do you think made them change their minds?
1: Well, I, I Rollie Chapman saying he'd rather be in the bullpen. Uh, I'm really stunned, actually, that the Reds didn't take the time ahead of time and talk to Rollie Chapman and and and. Find out, first of all, what he, how he really felt, number one. Then, number two, uh, advised them that this would come up in the media eventually and that if he was asked, you want to be a starter or a reliever, and you tell us in January you want to be a starter, don't tell the media in March that you want to be a reliever because then it makes it look like there's a big... Uh, uh disagreement between the manager and the general manager. And it looks like they don't have a plan and so on. I think the one thing that really Hurt a role of a shadow from his ability to to make it over as a starter this year was his, he was not able to go down and pitch a fall ball. That was the original plan, if you remember. And uh, yeah, they didn't feel like his arm was up to it, uh, so they didn't make him pitching fall ball as a starter. That would have given him an edge up. I'm not so sure that the spring training would have been enough for him. And even if he had been a starter, you're only looking at getting, what, 140, 150 innings out of him. And um, and then what, what the pitch counts were would also be a consideration. So I think that uh, it could have been probably planned out a little bit better so there wouldn't have been, you know, the sensational news by Roland happening in the middle of spring training that he would rather be in the bullpen.
0: Don't you think, though, that also that this was handled badly by the Reds' front office? I mean, Jockety says the plan's for Chapman to start. Price says there's a plan. And Dusty Baker's pretty vocal in the media that he doesn't think it's the right idea. And it makes it look like that there's a problem between the, 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 the dynamic between Dusty Baker and Walt Jockety also. Don't you think?
1: It does make it look like that. And it's not unusual to have, you know, the field manager docking against the general manager because everybody has a difference of opinion in this game. But I think it could have been handled better from the beginning uh, and just avoided this whole thing. Uh, I mean, I was under the impression, like you were, that he was going to be a starter, period. Everything I read, everybody I talked to, everything I had heard was that Ole Shatton was being groomed as a starter, like it or not like it. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's under, it's under consideration again. So even at that point, Dusty Baker must have felt like he had made his point to Walt Jockerty, and then, of course, I think Chapman voicing in the media that he wanted to be a reliever uh, was was a tipping point.
0: So you don't think this is any evidence of a of a of a real friction between Baker and Jockerty, or that or that Baker has the ear of the ownership more than Jockerty does, or anything like that.
1: I don't think so, no. I, I don't want to make it any bigger than it probably is. And, and you know, it, it concerns us one thing. I mean, this ball club right now is just, it looks too good uh, to start uh, letting something internal like that uh, begin to, you know, dissolve you from inside out. Uh, I, I don't think that there is a big problem between Jockney and Baker. If there is, you know, too bad. They've got to work together anyway. I mean, they've got a common goal. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to get along. There have been plenty of instances in, in baseball where there have been championship teams built when the GM and the manager didn't see eye to eye, but nonetheless they went out and worked for a common goal, which was to win games.
0: Yeah, in fact, I mean, the the movie Moneyball. How much of it was fictionalized and how much of it was true? I don't know, but it was very clear, at least in the movie version, that Billy Bean and, and Art Howe were were at cross purposes and cross beliefs. You know, in in that case.
1: It's interesting you bring that up because the whole idea, I think, of putting Chapman in the, in the starting rotation is, is an extension of Moneyball. Uh, I, I think you'd have a hard time finding uniformed personnel in the Reds camp that really thought that Chapman would be better off this year in, this, in the rotation than the bullpen. Uh, but I think that there are a lot of people who never wore a uniform They really think, that, hey, this is the best arm, you get the most innings out of him, and you know, that's your, uh, that's the way you max. To, is a uh, you know, value to the ball club. And I can see both those sides, but I think what we lose track of a lot is that this is still a game played by human beings. And you can crunch the numbers all you want, but the bottom line is that you've got a guy out there with emotion, with confidence, or lack of confidence, uh, biorhythms, good days, bad days, all sorts of things. And, and that's the bottom line. It's humans versus humans. The The, the,
0: the, the local... Free magazine. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. the City Beat. I think it was did it did a an article on Chapman, and he didn't come off looking real, like a very mature young man or or, or one that really has this, has his real head together. Do you think something like this could have went into the Reds' decision-making process? Also, his emotional yeah, maturity. Yeah, I
1: I, I I I don't think that they read City Beat. Be honest with you. But I do. (laughs) I think it's actually a pretty cool magazine. I missed that article. It would be interesting to know how they got the no-chapel enough to be able to get that kind of a, uh, but, uh, you you know, again, Bill, it goes back to the, the basic thing that you've got human beings. And one of the things that Dusty Baker does, and I'm not so sure he gets a lot of credit for, is that he really handles interpersonal relationships as well as anybody I've ever seen. And he gets to know his players, and he knows their strengths. He knows when you know they're not feeling right. He knows when they've got an issue at home. They are, He knows when they're you know they're breaking up with their girlfriends and so on and so forth. And and I think that players appreciate that. And I think he's got that sixth sense that can help him. And I think that he sensed that Chapman uh, didn't want to go out there and and uh, and be a starter and get knocked around and then have to be, be frustrated. Look at it this way. Chapman comes in from the bullpen, and when he gets in trouble in the one-in situation, what does he do? He does what he comes naturally does, and and that is wear back and try to throw harder. As a starter, you can't do that very often. I mean, there aren't too many guys who can actually throw harder when they want to, and I think that uh, Chapman, as a starter, you're going to go out there you're going to get beat up. You're going to have a couple of bad starts back-to-back. It's going to be frustrating. People are going to wonder if it was the right decision or not, And I think that he took the easiest way out and the way that he wants to have the most success. Coming out of the bullpen, the guy feels bulletproof. As a starter, I don't think that's the case.
0: Okay, let's move on to to something else, Chris. Let's let's talk about the value of a closer. Do you think it's overemphasized in today's game?
1: Well, you know, yes and no. Uh, I think that when you start giving closers really long-term deals for a lot of money, you'll probably find out that there's maybe two or three other guys on the ball club that can do pretty close to the same job that he did. I thought an interesting stat was Chapman's numbers last year, uh, as they related to Francisco Cordero's yep. uh, numbers, uh, and his last year. I think they were both 38 for 43 in save opportunities. So, I mean, Chapman didn't make you, you know, bite your knuckles down to the, or bite your fingernails down to the bone. But, uh, you know, bottom line was bottom line. So, yeah, I think to some extent, closers are, uh, not used the way they should be used. Uh, I think that i would, if I was managing, uh, I would probably use them more, uh, in a, in a crucial time of the game. Might be the seventh inning, might be the eighth inning, you know. I'm not automatically going to bring a closer in with a three-run lead in the ninth inning just so he can rack up another save. I think that's ridiculous. But I see managers do it every day, and it's almost like they're, they're forced to do that because of the, uh, the agents involved in the game, a lot of other things are going on. You know, you got personal accolades for the for the player. I mean, you want your pitcher to have the most saves in the league, right? So you put him out there every chance he gets a save. Well, that's not necessarily for the betterment of the ball club, but it certainly helps the player.
0: Yeah, in fact, I think John Fay wrote something along these same lines in an article a couple of weeks ago, where he he asked right after this decision was announced about about Chapman. He asked Dusty about, you know, the opening series. You know, would he use Chapman in the 7th or 8th inning if he was coming up against Solomon and, and Hamilton and, and, and Pulholtz, or would he save him for the ninth? And he said he'd save him for the ninth. You know, so I think that's kind of what we're talking about.
1: It's kind of the way of the game right now. I mean, I mean, the one luxury that Dusty Baker has, a lot of other managers don't, is that you have some other shutdown relievers in that bullpen. And, uh, you know, whether you want to save Sean Marshall or whether you want to it's Jonathan Broxton. Uh I mean you have got guys who have had closer uh, opportunities and some you know ranges of success as closers and uh the Reds have a chance to really shorthand a game. I think that's the whole idea of a good bullpen. Uh the closer himself and all the awards you get for saves and so on. I mean come on. Uh he he I don't know who was. Some media room the other day was showing me the you know the stats of what it's been since the nineteen forties when the winning team is leading, you know, the, the leading yeah. team going on the right thing wins 95% of the time.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, so, yeah, I, I think from that standpoint, closers are way overrated. But I'll tell you what's not overrated is that ballpark and the excitement and that ballpark, when that bullpen door swings open in a tight game and a roll of shatting comes out of the left field and of the mound and the place is going nuts and the scoreboard's going nuts and the are shooting off fireworks. I mean, I've never seen that kind of excitement uh, at a Cincinnati ballpark out about a closer ever. And I think that that's a a pretty cool thing to be around.
0: It was kind of like Charlie Sheen in Major League. Yeah. I mean, (laughs)
1: uh, it's almost surreal sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been at other ballparks, you know, where they brought in their star closers, you know, you you can name them. But uh, people dig it. And and it's part of the fun to be at the ballpark.
0: Yeah, they, they, but they do have a lot of money tied up in that bullpen now.
1: Well, they do, but it's not
0: our money as a bill. No, it's not yours or mine anyway. We wish we had that kind of money. <laughs> so so let's go on to the ball club, Chris. Does does this team feel like it has something to prove after how last year ended?
1: I hope so. I hope so. I hope that the uh, you know the the expectations that the fans who put on this ball club don't act as an anchor uh, and, and something too big. I, I think that they feel like that uh, they were stunned last year by the Giants. You know, they went into that, thinking all you got to do is win one out of three. That's a horrible way to look at things because if you get outpitched your first game, then you get beaten in your second game. All of a sudden, you know, you're so tight in the third game, you can't even make it to home plate. And I think that's what happened to them. Yeah. Uh, so I think this year, the challenge for Dusty Baker and his ball club is to actually play games as hard as they did during the regular season, like they did last year, in order to get to the postseason, uh, because it's assumed that everybody around Red's country is assuming this team's going to win the division because they look like the best team on paper. But you know, a lot a lot of things you, know, you can throw a few shoes along the way or lose a few wheels, whatever you want to say, and and, and all of a sudden, it becomes a struggle. Uh, I hope that they're able to keep the same kind of focus this year as they did last year.
0: Let's let's talk about some individual players and things. Chris uh, Devin Mesoraco's had a great spring. Uh, How has he improved from last year?
1: I think he is back to where he was, to be honest with you, Bill. I I don't think, I mean, he's improved. The way he finished the year last year, I mean, he he looked like he was lost. His confidence was gone. His confidence at the plate was gone. He got into bad catching habits behind the plate, how he set up, how he he caught the balls, how he blocked balls, all those things uh, that he had progressed past. He reverted to when he started losing his confidence last year. I think he went back and he thought, you know what? I'm going to come into camp and, and be the guy that I can be. And, I mean, he's a tremendously talented young kid, really strong, great strong arm, uh, and uh, I, I was just so happy to see him come ready to play the way he did, I think, here in this ball club.
0: Do, do you have any thoughts on why he struggled last year? I mean, was it effort? Was there any lack of effort or work ethic or maturity? Or, or did he just get into a bad slide and couldn't get out of it?
1: I, I think that's exactly what it is. It's not a lack of effort, I'll tell you that. The kid works hard. In fact, this whole team works hard. They really do. Uh, but I think that uh, you start losing your confidence and then you start questioning things. And you're not sure whether, you know, at some point you're not sure whether you're ever going to make a, you know, solid contact on the ball again. So now you're behind home plate catching, you know, one of the pitchers and, and instead of having your mind completely into how you're going to set the hitter up and catch this pitcher and work the strategy and so on, you know, some pleading thoughts in your mind are, man, I, I'm, I'm third up next day. What if, what if I come up with a, with a man on base and, and I don't drive him in? Will I get another start or not? So these things, I think what happened to, to uh, Devin Mesiraco, happened to a lot of players, they think about the what if instead of the what. being, what if I strike out again with the bases loader? What if I make the last out of the game? What if I throw this ball in the center field? And I think that it really eroded his confidence that uh, he came back and with a clean slate this spring, he's a, he's a, he's a good looking player.
0: I read an, an article, a quote by Joe Morgan in the off season that said, it, "You know, one of the things that may kind of hold up—well, it, it, he didn't—he wasn't—I didn't even think he was specifically talking about Devin, but he said it's tough for a young catcher on a team that's expected to be good to develop because the expectations of the team are so high. And also on well, this—and also on this team—he's got Ryan Hannigan playing in front of him, who's just lights out on framing and pitches and, and, and playing defense. Do you do you think well, these things could kind of set his the, a development back a little bit?"
1: Well, yeah, I think Joe Morgan's right on the beam. I think what he's trying to say there is that the catcher is supposed to be the go-to guy, the, the leader on the ball club. And when you have a young catcher and he's struggling a little bit, it's really tough. Um, so now the guy he was out and tries harder and he makes some mistakes of aggression and so on. And uh, I think that's a great point by Morgan. Uh, on the other hand, if you roll the clock back three years, you know, Ryan Hamming's a nice catcher, but he was nowhere near what he is right now. So. You know, he's made himself, he's he's like a self-made millionaire, Ryan Hannigan. He, he, <laughs> he He's made himself from a non-drafted, non-prospect into one of the best catchers in the league. He's, an amazing,
0: and, he's uh, an amazing story. I mean, because, and I think you and I have talked about this before, because when you're in his position coming up through the organization, they don't have anything invested in you, and you don't have really have anybody in your corner. I mean, he had to earn everything on his own to get to where he is. He's kind of an amazing story. I, I
1: love it. And you know what? Uh, he doesn't take anything for granted even still. Now now that you have Ryan Hannigan having reached the point in his career where he is, the question that I have is, is would be, all right, how does Dusty Baker split up the playing time between these two? Last year, you know, Hannigan caught the top three in rotation, Metzerockman caught the bottom two, but now you've got the temptation of having Hannigan who's who Homer Bailey's much better behind the play with Hannigan behind or uh, on the mound with Homer you know what I'm saying? Right. Hannigan behind the play and playing Homer is a better pitcher. At least he was last year. Uh, the temptation to run Hannigan out there four out of five days uh, instead of playing only sixty percent of the time has got to be, you know, very strong for Dusty Baker to resist. So it'll be interesting to see how the catch and rotation goes. I don't think they're quite as concerned about developing Mesuraco this year as they are last year. I think this year. They want to win, and that's going to be the prim- primary goal every night.
0: What What do you think of the idea of, of pitchers having person as, as an ex guy? What do you think of the idea? of, I mean, because because has always been Arroyo's guy uh, for years. But you know, what do you think of the idea of a, a personal catcher or guys, you know, catching the same pitcher all the time? I and mean, what are the pluses and minuses for that for the for the pitcher and for the catchers? I
1: think most pitchers like it. I mean, I think that they develop a kinship with a certain catcher, and they like them. And uh, hopefully that he's the number one catcher. Uh, but um, you know, bottom line is, I mean, I remember I was with, um, uh, you know, well, uh, I think I was with the Expos, and and uh, uh, Gary Carter, with well, you know, um uh, was kind of a soul. He 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 loved to call for fastballs with riders on base, and uh, you know everybody in the league knew it. And I never very much of a fastball. I had a hard time going to find those guys when they were looking for it. And I didn't want to throw always with the man on first base, but he wanted to be able to throw the runners at me. See, so, so I, I kind of gravitated and say, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like to have this backup catcher catching, you know, and uh, <laughs> if that's not going to happen. You, you're number one guy that to catch the majority of the time. So I think mean, most pitchers have developed certain relationships with certain catchers, but the bottom line is that, you know, you hope your pitching core is good enough that everybody can be intermingled. You know, is a different guy. Um and um, it started with David Ross being his personal catcher here in Cincinnati, and then it worked, you know, to Ryan Hannigan. Uh, if you remember, um, Greg Maddox had the same situation when he was in Atlanta, where he had a personal catcher, I think it was Eddie Perez, uh, who wasn't the top line catcher then. So, um, it, it's one of those things where, you know, there are certain times pitchers like to throw to certain guys, and hey, if it gives you an edge where he's gonna throw more zeros on the board, maybe that'd be a good night to get the uh, number one catcher in all.
0: I want to give you a chance to debunk something that kind of has floated around the blogs, Chris. And that's that the front officer, Dusty Baker lost confidence in Devin Mesoraco as a future number one catcher on this team after last year. Have you seen any it. emphasis on any any sign of that? Uh, you
1: know, there's speculation about that. I mean, when you see a guy regress the way that Mesoraco did last year, and he did. I mean, there is just no. You know, you can't sugarcoat that. Um, yeah, I mean, if they had complete confidence that Mesorocco was going to come back and look as good as he did this spring, they wouldn't have brought in Miguel Lebo uh, for a, for a long look and a tryout. In fact, in the beginning of the camp, Lebo was getting all the innings in the A games. And, uh, it was Mesoraco that would come around as a backup guy, and he would catch the last few innings and, and, uh, mostly minor leaguers and play when everybody, you know, when the double A team was on the field. But he earned his way back on the ball club. Uh, so I think that, you know, it's not about losing confidence. It's about players showing you that they should have confidence in you. Um, I mean, what has Devin Mazzarocco ever done in the major leagues that, that, had, that everybody should automatically have confidence in him that he should be okay from year in and year out? Listen, the sample size of the big leagues for him hasn't been big enough.
0: True.
1: Now, if he, was, if he was a five-year catcher and a two-time All-Star and then he had a bad year and then your man's going lose his confidence in you, then there may be an issue. But at this point, he hasn't earned it yet. It's up to Devin Masarocco to come out and show everybody that he can play in the big leagues. And he he hasn't done that over the course of his season yet. I hope he can. I think he can. Uh, but he's going to get that chance from
0: Yeah, I hope so too because he's a good kid. Um, let's move on to the pitching staff, Chris. Which Mike Leaker do you think we're going to see this year? The, the 2012 version, the 2011 version, or, or somewhere in between? or? or or do you think he'll you know he'll come back to where he was two years ago
1: i yeah, I mean yes and no um, Mike Leak is likely i think if any team out there could get anywhere close to the five hundred out their number five starter or that that fifth starter spot I mean it wasn't too long ago that the Reds I think ran eight guys out there fifth oh, yeah. starter spot one season. So, uh, it's like someone, uh, it's like one of the top guys from the Angels told me uh, when I was, he came out to scout the Reds, and uh, I asked him, you know, uh, off the record, what do you think about this Chapman League thing? He said, Huh, Mike Leake's our fourth starter. We have a $200 million payroll. So, there are a lot of teams out there that really like Mike League, and a lot of people out there will like Mike League, and I'm one of them. And I think the guy's going to win a lot of games. I think that he's another guy that, that, uh, you know, let me make this one comment, and I can tell you from experience because I was a fifth starter. The fifth starting spot in the major leagues is the toughest job in sports to keep. And I say that because I go on the backfields in the minor league or in, in the spring training days, and I see them filled with probably a hundred different pitchers. And guess whose job they're all looking at.
0: That number they know they
1: really cannot pitch Johnny Gueno, and they're not on a long-term deal like Lazos or Arroyo, and they don't have the stuff that Oliver Bailey does. Most of them don't. And he's doing no better in the big leagues. But when they look at Mike Leake, they think, hey, my stuff's as good as his, and I've got a chance to be a number five starter. So every year, whether unless he goes out and wins 20 games – Mike Leake is going to be battling for a job on the on, on the on the staff, just like every other fifth starter is every time they show up in spring training. So I think that a poor guy uh, gets over scrutinized a little bit because of, of, of the location he is in the in the uh, in the rotation.
0: Do you think the Chapman situation puts any extra extra pressure on him to perform? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that you know he they brought some other pitchers in Kansas you know, look pretty good. Armando Galarraga looked pretty good. He's gonna be down in AAA. Uh Tony Cingrani uh didn't look that great in spring training A games, but you know he's he's coming on. Uh you know, you gotta to battle to keep your spot. I mean the the only thing harder than making it to the major leagues is staying here. And I think Leaf is figuring that out. Uh but Leaf's a smart guy. I like his arm action. I like the action on his ball. Uh, he when he goes to the lineup and he's working right, I mean he makes it look awfully easy. I think that the guy could be a generic pragmatics uh, and and all he has to do is really concentrate on moving the ball around and hitting the spot which just fine
0: let's move into the bullpen Chris I mean it looks like we've got what one two three four five guys vying for three spots uh Hoover Andrusic, simon Arredondo, and para uh, who's gonna who do you, who do you think is going to make the team
1: well I think para's gonna make the team based on the fact that uh they like to have another lefty uh, he's a big leader, uh, that he had, they can't send him out, uh, without his permission. And I can guarantee you that there's a bunch of other clubs that have put Manny Parr on their team right now, uh, in the bullpen. And the all lot always there. So I think the par is out. I don't think that, that, uh, I think J.J. Hoover has pitched his way out of the ball club. Uh, I'm not, I think Bruce has to make up here towards the end of part of spring training. This may end up getting optioned out. Uh, and, 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 the guy, and I think Simon's on the team too, based on what he did last year. Uh, is the interesting guy to me, to be honest with you. Uh, I keep hearing rumors that they you know, that they, that they like to trade him, that there's too many guys for the number of positions they have, and Ardando is the one guy that, you know, maybe they could trade and get something for and free up the spot. Uh, because I do know that, hey, he makes me nervous on the matter for people's sake. Doesn't he walk the first guy's faces every time just out of habit? And, and, uh, but he usually, uh, comes through and gets the job done. And he's one of those white knuckle pitchers, you know, where it's not always pretty, but he usually puts up some pretty good numbers. He's uh, also, he, uh, he's, 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 he's gonna make the team a uh, I, I, I don't know what he's expecting.
0: He's also, Ayrodonda's also unusual and he's got that weird reverse split too, where he's better against left handers than he is against right handers. Well,
1: it is, yeah. I mean, that's, that, point. okay, so, so you ask yourself, um, you see para R an though you get left handed out. hmm I mean that's kind of what it comes down to, really. Yeah. Uh but you know, they're both big league pitchers. Uh and you both have a ch- you have a chance to lose them if you don't keep them on the roster. So uh, it's a tough decision. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see some some kind of a trade made here, uh, you know, between now and the Opening day.
0: Yeah, and we're and to let everybody know we're talk Chris and I are talking on Friday evening. Uh Chris, let, let's let's move out to the to the biggest uh, addition to the ball club this year, uh, Shin Chu, who I, I I've loved this guy for years in Cleveland. Tell me your impressions about this guy.
1: I love this guy too. I mean, you know what? <laughs> if I didn't know better, I would have thought he was raised in Cincinnati, and because he plays like a kid who comes through Cincinnati youth baseball. I mean, he plays hard-nosed baseball. He gets after it. Uh, he's a, he's just a solid guy. He really is. He, you know, he told me that when he came over here to the States to play, uh, he was taught, like most Asian hitters, you know, to kind of swing and run at the same time. Uh, you know, the Ichiro type of, and most of the Japanese and and Korean players we've seen, uh, are hitters that that do that. And he, he realized early on that he wasn't going to be that kind of player, that he wanted to stay in the baddest box. He, he taught himself how to hit American style. And uh, this guy's a real smart guy. He really is very smart. He's got a good grasp in the English language. He understands baseball. Uh, he understands what pitchers are trying to do for him. And he's picked up halfway to play center field without any problem at all. So uh, I, I think it's a terrific pickup. I mean, I was so excited when I saw that trade being made. And I said that this is, even if you have him only for one year, uh, this is just going to be the time of my season for him.
0: Tell us what he brings to this team offensively, Chris.
1: Well, he brings power in the number one spot. He brings uh, an on base monster, uh, you know, when you just look at his numbers of getting on base. And I just love the way he works the count. I see things in Chu that I haven't seen in, in Reds leadoff hitters in recent history. I mean, uh, I mean, look at the guys we've had up there. He's struggling to try to get on base. You know, Drew Stubbs, Corey Patterson, Willie Tavares. I mean, man, oh, man, we're tearing our hair out watching these guys play, aren't we? And uh, now you finally got somebody who not only can get on base, but you make a mistake and the guy is going to hit it into a river. Uh, I mean, he is that powerful. This guy is a player. And uh, I'm just tickled to death he's wearing a red for him. It
0: makes you wonder how many RBIs Joey Votto could have this year. Well, um, I, you
1: know, I, I hope so. Uh, I mean, I, you know, Votto. It's funny. We talk about RBIs and production what he's paid to do and this and that. Bottom doesn't look at it like that. Bata just doesn't want to make outs. Yep. Uh, he, and, and, and he's really reduced the game of baseball to where the great players are able to do it, which is, you know, I just want to be, um, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, give myself the feeling that at every event I'm doing myself the uh, justice by way I go, I go through that at bat. You know, not give into the pitcher, not get myself out early and count a bad pitch. Um, you know, and if it results in an out, it results in it out. But by God, I'm going to battle in there, and I'm going to hit the ball hard somewhere, and, uh, you know, then he counts up the RBIs at the end of the year. But I think that Bob Miller from the front office did some calculations and told me on the Reds Caravan this year that based uh, on everything they figured out, that uh, Joey Bott, I mean, if Chu has a typical year, uh, Joey Bott going to have a 100- hundred. More guys on base ahead of him than, than he did uh, in the
0: previous lineups. I, I think I read that in the last two or three years, I think it was, that there have been more no-hitters thrown than Joey Votto pop-ups. <laughs> um, yeah, I in the
1: <laughs> infield, I think it only popped up twice in two years, right? That's what, yeah, that's what I'm uh, saying,
0: you know. <laughs> yeah. What, what impre- uh, yeah. Joe, Chris, what impresses you the most about Votto? Is it how much he thinks about the game and, and, and or, or, or something else?
1: It, it's, it's, for me, it's his approach and his work habits. Um, I know mean, a lot of guys that work hard, but I've never seen anybody work like Joey Votto. I mean, it, it, it is unbelievable. Uh, I mean, it, it's amazing the guy sometimes can take the field without having worn himself completely to the bone. Uh, he takes more ground balls than anybody else. He takes more soft-sauce than anybody else. Got his own routine. He's completely in the zone when he's at practice for baseball. A lot of guys need comic relief during, during a, a practice because they can't focus and stay intense, uh, as, you know, as long as a guy like Botto can. And Botto stays intense from the time he takes the field in batting practice or in fielding practice until the, till the end of the game. And a lot of guys are taking mental breaks along the way, but that's just Botto's way of getting ready. I think the way he practices is the thing that makes me most impressive, I him. I mean, you know, I don't know if you ever heard the term deep practice, but it applies to Botto more than any player I've ever seen.
0: Well, I think a prime example of this is when he came up, he was not known as a very good defensive player. Uh, they said, you know, that, that he wasn't a real good first baseman, and he's turned himself into a, a gold-glove caliber, and he won a gold-glove, but a gold-glove caliber first baseman.
1: You know, drafted as a catcher, they tried him a third that wasn't going to work, they tried him the left field. And uh, yeah, you're right, even his first couple of years at first baseman were, weren't all that great, but he's gotten steadily better and better and better. And the guy makes the plays, man. I mean, and he's got a good idea about that. We were able to get with him a few times this spring and have kind him of do some of those uh, instructional tech talks that we do. Oh, good. And uh, he uh, articulates himself about defensive first base as well as any first baseman I've ever had on that
0: show. Let's move out to left field, Chris. Let's talk about Ryan Ludwig. Is it a reasonable expectation to, to think he can repeat his numbers from last year?
1: Mm. <laughs> you and you hope that <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I read all the you know um, the saber guys are are saying, oh, he's the most likely to have a regression, and and um, you know that might happen. I don't know. I mean, he's kind of had a um, uh, you know. You look at his career numbers year by year, and, it, and it, it's it's a it's a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, so. Um, you hope that he's, he's in shape and hits a high point. I'll tell you what, you can't find a better teammate than Ryan Ludwig. And, um, uh, you know, the guy may not be the most fearsome cleanup hitter in the league, but I think he fits on this ball club because of who he is and how he is. And uh, he's got the kind he's – like, he's like the comic relief that they need. And, um, you, you know, so, you know, is he going to put the best numbers up of any cleanup hitter in the league? No. You know, would I rather have you know fill in the blank? You know, Mike Trout. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, well, come on, but, but I mean, I, I think that he he's a good fit for this ball club.
0: I do. If if he did struggle and they felt like they needed to make a change in the lineup, now and I'm not saying take him out of the starting lineup, but if they made it a, a switch in the in the order, what do you think Plan B would be for the four slot? I think you probably see back to back lefties or chasers. You think Dusty? Uh, you think Dusty finally? Give in? <laughs> well, you know, only because you have to. Um,
1: and but I think the one thing that you have this year with the addition of Chu giving you more balance. That you got more to worry. When you only had two lefties in the lineup, and it was it was Bono and Bruce, um, then you you had to split them up because it was too easy down the road to feed into the strength of the opposing bullpen. But when you've got another left-hander. In the lineup with Chu, when you turn the lineup over, it gives the manager a little bit more uh, difficulty uh, trying to spot those lefties up. And I know Dusty, don't like to do that. I mean, he's completely opposite Bobby Cox. Bobby Cox, care less. He could be five lefties in a row. It, it wouldn't have made any difference to him. But, um, you know, I think that probably Bruce would be the guy. And, uh, I don't know, beyond that, maybe Todd Frazier if he gets hot. Uh, I mean, what you look at, Bill, I think with guys who – are your superstar players? Is that they play a six-month season and they give you three to four months of real baseball and two months of not that great baseball? Yeah. For the mo- it's up to the manager to figure out when he's giving me his best baseball. That's where I want to put him in a spot where he can do the most damage.
0: You mentioned Todd, uh, Todd Frazier and and with Scott Rowland gone now, how do you do you think it kind of takes the pressure off of, of Todd or puts more pressure on him as the Avery guy at third base now?
1: I don't think he feels pressure. I think it would be more pressure if Rollins was around. I do. Uh, I, I think he's settled into it. Uh, you know, he, he plays unorthodox everything. I mean, at least according to the book. You know what I mean? The, the instruction book. I mean, he's not the slickest-looking fielder, but he normally gets a job done. Uh, he bars his left arm when when he, when he gets ready to swing the bat, but he... You know, remarkably, he remarkably good hits on pitches that other guys couldn't even make contact on. Um, so, and, and he's a strong kid, and he's driven. And I, I think that this is the the kind of thing again that that um, reminds you that you're playing a game of human beings when you look at a guy like Kyle Frazier. And it, I hate to sell him short because I think he's really got it in his heart.
0: Didn't he? Didn't he hit one out last year that he threw the bat at the ball? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, let, let's talk about the team as a whole for a couple minutes, Chris. Give me one or two keys for the Reds' success this year.
1: Well, they've got to stay healthy. I mean, uh, they don't have to stay as healthy from the starting rotation as they did last year, but they've got to stay healthy. I, I don't think they recover from a loss of, say, Jody Votto uh, this year the way they did last year. Uh, they have to make sure that they don't read their own press bookings and that they don't think that they're as great as they appear on paper. Um, I think the one thing that will help them in that respect is that you have two on a one-year deal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I always think it's nice to have somebody in their lock year or on a one-year deal in your ball club because you get everybody uh, kind of fat and happy with contracts. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to get that extra motivation going. Um, and, and I think that the big the other thing is that they just don't panic. I mean, if they lose a few games and they begin to struggle like they did last mm-hmm. April, you know, don't worry about it. This team is big enough to be able to make it up as they come around. But I think, uh, I don't have any any big uh, uh, worries about this team. Yeah, cause, other than, you know they're staying healthy. Yeah, because
0: their schedule is pretty rough in, in April. I mean, they've they yeah, it
1: is. I mean, you play the Cardinals six times, all in San Luis. Of course, you play the Phillies. You play the Nationals. You play the Angels. Uh, start off with the Angels. Yeah. Uh, but you also pick up the Cubs and in the in the spot there, I think, in April. And uh, Miami is in the slot as well in April. Uh so you know you have a couple of teams that aren't supposed to be any good and they won't be any good, and uh, but you've got some good teams. So uh, it'll be a good test for this ball club right away. Uh I, I think that you're gonna see I think what I really like about this team is that you're gonna see the starting pitching even better this year than last year. Uh, I really, you, I, mean, you, you, I think late, I Latos is on the verge of a of a of a really good year, um, based on what I have seen in spring training. Uh, I think Cueto was always driven. I think the guy, as long as he stays healthy, is going to be just fine. And Homer Bailey, to me, doesn't even resemble the same person he did two years ago. I mean, you, he's a man now.
0: You feel I like mean, Homer's really turned the corner?
1: I, I, Well, he's turned the corner physically, uh, and I think the second half of last year really helped him. Uh, and I also think that having Harrigan behind the plate helped him a lot last year. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how they actually catch the catcher up with Homer Bailey. But I think Homer Bailey is, 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 hey, I don't think there's a team out there that wouldn't love to have him as a number four starter.
0: And he killed a lion with a bow and arrow, for gosh sakes.
1: Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I don't know whether that's heroic or... Or, or, <laughs> or,
0: or insane.
1: Or executive. Right? Or, or, or <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how they do that. I, I,
0: something just occurred to me, Chris, and I wanted to jump back for a second. When you brought up brought up Chu only being on the one-year deal, did you get a look at Billy Hamilton out there?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What were your thoughts? He's fast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you think he could be ready next year? Uh, you know, I've never played against Vince Coleman in minor
1: leagues. I played against uh, Ricky Henderson in the minor leagues. Uh, I played with Ricky in winter ball. Uh, I played uh, against Ricky in the Major League then, and then I played against Vince, and you know, I played with Willie McGee as a minor leader with the Yankees. So I that's I, I kind of the, um, the view that I've seen a lot of these really speedsters, you know, early on. Nobody was like Ricky Henderson. Um, but I think that Billy reminds me a little bit more of maybe the batting style of Vince Coleman a little bit more uh, than the rest of those guys, uh, but he is—he's what I really like about him is his confidence on the base pass. I mean, he really believes nobody is going to keep him from getting to the next bag. Yeah, he
0: can turn and, a single into a triple in a hurry.
1: Yeah, and, and what we can, well, you know, we were able to do some of these tech talk things with Billy Hamilton and talk about his strategy and so on. And, and uh, it, it, it's amazing. An I mean, he, he, when you see him, I mean, he's dancing off first base. He is daring the pitcher to throw over. And he's telling the guy in body language, I'm going the first time you throw the plate, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, the the, first... yeah, it's the same, thing, same thing Vince Coleman did, It's the same thing that Willie McGee did from time to time, and you just knew it in your heart that that was going to happen. And and um, I think the kid's going to be an impact player in the major leagues so as long as he can keep those legs healthy.
0: Yeah, I saw him quite a bit of date two years ago, and and the only guy the only guy that I ever saw that was even in his ballpark in terms of speed going from like first to third was Deion Sanders.
1: Yeah, but he loves the game too. That's the other thing I like about that. He's a humble kid. He loves the game. He was very uh, happy and, and and you know just humbled to be up. Um, you know, with the big league club this year. So it's not one of these kids that comes on the scene thinking that, you know, the game of baseball owes him something. Uh, he's not like that at all. And I'll tell you, that was what a great song that he was.
0: Chris, this team won 97 games last year. Can they win 97 games this year? Uh, if they have to, if they
1: can. Uh, I don't think they'll have to. I think they probably only need to win 92 or 93. Um, um, I'd rather see him win 90 games then win more in the playoffs. You know, but uh, uh, I think that this team, what they did last year, is they won when they had to win, and I think that they still can do that. Uh, I, I really think that they they believe in themselves. And I can tell you, Bill, from talking to other scouts and other front office operatives and GMs and so on, uh, there are a lot of people that really think this ball club is just loaded. I mean, that they are just solid through and through. And uh, when you hear that from other baseball people, You know, in years past, you always say, they say, well, you guys are good except for, you know, any name, two or three names or a couple of areas. This year, it's like, man, you got depth everywhere. Yeah. We we haven't even talked about some of the backup guys who can really, who can play. And um, if if they stay healthy and stay on the right course, and Dusty Baker's able to make him play one game at a time, it's so trite. I hate to say it, but you know what? You got to do it. You got to go out. You got to go after that inning and win every inning. And that's what they
0: did last year. That's why they won out. Well, the, the only thing, the only, predi- I'm not going to ask you for a prediction, Chris, because you know, that could happen. You know, we'll just say that we, we, we want to be playing when, after the season's over. But if you were be- a betting man, would you bet on Joey Votto to be an MVP again this year?
1: I, I on him being a running. Yeah. No, I, I don't see a better pure hitter in baseball. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I'll tell you what, uh, I I saw Mike Trout play a few games, but maybe a better way to ask that, Bill, or for me to look at it is, all right, if I'm making a draft pick of the first player I want starting a team, you know, it's a short list of guys who are going to be on that list. You know, um, money aside, say I'm going to have the guy for 10 years and I can afford him, whatever the money is, you know, who is it? And Botto's got to be one of the guys you're going to consider.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: I, and that's the reason he's so valuable to this team. I mean, numbers are one thing. I mean, I I, I like to crunch him with everybody else. You know, I'm a little bit challenged when it comes to doing math in public. But I like to read about that stuff. And I understand where it's coming from, and I believe in a lot of the trends and the inside uh, formulas they use and so on. I, I think that... that, that when I see the, the best player on your team working harder than anybody I've ever seen, I've been around the game a long time, and that shows me something. And that's the way he, that's the way he leads. He's no rah-rah guy, but he leads by example. And I'll tell you what, I, he'd be one of my first picks. I, 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 I hate the fact that the players are given 10 or 12-year contracts, but if you've got to give one to somebody, Bob is the man to give it to. Him.
0: Well, Chris, I know you and I both still live in the Cincinnati area, and, and, and we both know how excited the city is and ready for opening day on Monday. So I'm, we're going to wrap up now. I'm going to let you go, and uh, hopefully we can get together later on in the season. I hope so, Bill. Thanks a lot for visiting you with you. You too, care. Chris. Thanks for your time. Thank you.